Tonight, I want us to look at a little, uh, for a little bit about some things dealing with our nation and the morals that we see. I think all of us are aware that things are not what they should be. We've seen a decline in morality. We've seen things that uh, a generation ago would not have been tolerated. They're tolerated now. And uh, probably many of us are saying, when's it going to stop? What's going to make it stop? How do we get it to stop? How do we turn things around? Our nation is on a moral downgrade. And the longer we're on that, the more speed we pick up and the more speed we have, the harder it is to turn around, the harder it is to stop. And so I want us to look tonight at what we can do to help our nation. Now, we've been a nation for 236 years, and during that time, we have been the envy of the world. Uh, People still uh, would give anything and often give their lives in attempts to just to be able to live here and to enjoy the privileges that we have. And we can talk about how great this nation is and how many blessings that we have. And, and we have been richly blessed by God. But the fact that we are strong and have had all these things doesn't mean that we always will. The Bible tells us, well, warns us in a number of passages, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The Bible also warns in Psalm 20 and verse 7, he said, you know, some people trust in horses and chariots, but we're going to put our trust in God. Um, there's a lot of people that trust in our might in this nation. We're big, we're bad, nobody can mess with us. You know, we can take care of ourselves. But the psalmist says that's a foolish thing. We need to trust in God. And for those of us who think that maybe we're just too big to be messed with and that nothing could ever happen to us, we're God's nation. Um, You might need to go back and read what the Lord said through the prophet Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, he reminds us that um, he's in control. He brings kings into position, and it's with his choice he can take them out. He gives kingdoms to whomever he wants. He raises up nations and and takes them down at his command, his will. And so we can never reach a point where we say, hey, we're too big to worry about stuff. Nothing's ever going to happen to us. It it may. And uh, we need to pursue a course of righteousness because, after all, that's the only thing that secures us and keeps us in good standing in the eyes of God. Back, well, if we were to look at the question, how do we get here? You know, this is not where our forefathers were. This is not where your mom and dad were. Your grandparents were a generation ago. So how did we get here? That's what I want us to look at tonight. I want to do two things. I want to look at how we got where we are and what we can do to fix it. It's not any use or any good to just say, well, woe is me. This is where we are. I can identify the problems, but if we don't have solutions, then we're just kind of wasting our time. So I want to offer some solutions as well tonight. How did we get where we are? Well, the first thing is that we have removed God and his word uh, from our knowledge. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 speaks of people in... Paul's day, that did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, they had a knowledge of him. They knew he existed. They knew he was a creator. But they didn't like to retain 
the knowledge of them. He was, uh, he cramped their style. He, he got in their way of having fun. And, and so they didn't like to talk about God. They didn't acknowledge him in their daily life. They didn't thank him for the blessings of the day. They didn't thank him for life um, or for providential care. They didn't, they didn't like to retain God in his knowledge. That's where we are as a nation. We don't want to think about God. Oh, you can have your God in your church buildings, but keep them in the church building. Don't take them outside. Don't take them to the workplace. Don't take them to school with you. You just keep them in the building and we'll be okay. Well, I think that we can see evidence of, um, I'm, there we go, uh, just on July the 20th, um, just 10 days ago, or so, somewhere in that neighborhood. It was Friday, uh, the, the movie The Dark Knight was showing in Aurora, Colorado. People had gathered it uh, for a midnight showing of that movie, and they went in to watch this movie, and uh, you all know what happened. There was a guy that put body armor on, uh, had rifles and pistols and all kind of... Uh, smoke bombs and everything else. And he, he went in to that theater and he just started shooting people. Uh, killed 12, uh, shot and injured 58 others. And, um, you know, it's senseless. We look at that and we say, what in the world? What, what makes a person do something like that? I mean, where is their head? And for the last couple of weeks, every night on the news, we've been analyzing this guy. We've been talking about who he was, what his background was, why do you think he did it, why do you think he made those choices. And then we've also talked about here are the people that he murdered, profiling them and talking about what they were, who they were, what they had done already in life and, and what they could have done the potential that they had if they would have just been allowed to live and not endure such senseless violence. All this thought, and and I agree with that. I mean, it's an atrocity. It's shameful that this kind of behavior takes place. But here's what I want you to consider. If you go outside the movie theater... If you can see point A, I don't know if it's big enough for you to see, but if you go outside the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, and drive 2.2 miles due north, you'll come to a building called Mayfair Women's Center. And in this building, women receive, routinely receive uh, abortions every day. Um, there are um, roughly 12, interestingly enough, uh, when asked what their average is per day, how many abortions are committed there or, or performed there every day, they said 12 to anywhere from 12 to 25. There are 12 people who were murdered, innocent people who were murdered in a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, And it brings the nation to a standstill. That's all we can talk about. That was a one-time event. Just two miles from the place where this murder took place, there's a building that looks all sanitary from the outside and 
nicely landscaped, but inside every day, that number and more innocent people are slaughtered. Where's the outcry? Who has anything to say about that? Are we talking about that as much as we have been the the shooting at at the movie? Are, Are we considering the potential that those babies had, what they might have become and what they could have done with their lives if they would have just been given a chance to live? Have we talked about the atrocity of of taking innocent life like we have about this man who just goes crazy and kills people randomly? I don't think we have. But I think part of that is because we have left the standard of God's Word. That's what I'm talking about. We, we no longer let it be our guide for moral behavior. It doesn't determine right and wrong for us anymore. We don't acknowledge God and His Word. And so we can, we can shake our head and, and cluck our tongues and wag our heads at the actions of this man and say, how wrong. And we can just go two miles away and say, perfectly justifiable. It's a woman's right. That's the kind of uh, mixed up uh, world in which we live in. And that's the result of leaving the Word of God. On the website here, they've got a little smiley face. Hey, financial assistance is available. You know, special prices are available for... And it has a breakdown of prices for... Uh, terminating, murdering uh, these these uh, babies. Um, also, consider this. You know, we, we talk about how graphic, and, and they've even talked about, what are we going to do with this movie theater? I mean, um, it's been shot up. There's blood stains. How, how can we deal with that? We, can, we may not be able to reopen this and so forth. Um, well, you know, years ago, there were uh, some archaeological discoveries at some pagan high places where they had actually performed human sacrifice. Children were offered up to Moloch and other deities. And um, there was, it was an interesting observation made by somebody who had visited those because they were there at that high place where it used to be. And, and to put yourself back... And to think, man, at one time they took children and murdered them here as a means of worshiping their God. Not far from that high place was a place where the bones of all those children were just discarded. We can look at that and say, man, how how barbaric. Uh, I can't imagine living in a place like that that would do that. But you know... Remove us several hundred years from here and let people come back and look at some of the ruins that may exist in our nation. What might they think when they see dumpsters full of babies and so forth or wherever they are uh, taken to be disposed of? We're every bit as depraved in some ways as a nation as some of those pagan uh, nations were, and to think that we aren't really misses it. Um, I know this is kind of graphic, but I, I'm not going to read it, but maybe you can read 
but this is a, a statement that was made. You see, we sanitize, we, we dress our doctors up, we, we, uh, we put them in sanitary rooms, we have sterile instruments, and, and we make it look so pristine and so neat and so clean. That's not what takes place. It's a horrific, grotesque murder of children. And we can justify it somehow as a nation while we cry out against other senseless acts of murder against innocents. All right, you're going to have to click again because it's not advancing. Well, how do we get here? Well, we remove God from our thoughts. But here's the second thing. Pleasure has become our God. Um, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19 speaks of some people back then whose God was their own belly. In other words, if it was satisfying to them, it's the philosophy of hedonism. If it makes me happy, if it satisfies me, if it makes me feel fulfilled, then it's right, it's good, and uh, I'm going to do it. That's where we are as a nation. If it makes me happy, I can justify it. I may have told you this before, but one time there was a lady who left her husband. She left her two little boys and just abandoned the family. And, And they didn't even know where she was for the longest time. And finally she showed up and she was with another man who'd broken up his marriage and his children. And she was going to marry him. And she finally, I got to where I could talk to her. And I said, you know, you... She said, I'm going to marry him. And I said, well, you, you can't marry him. And she said, well, yeah, I, I am. And, and I began to quote Matthew 19, 9 to her. And she said, Steve, I know what the Bible says, but I, you can just stop because I, I'm going to marry him because, and this is what she said, because he makes me happy. Justification or not, that's hedonism. If it makes me happy, There's justification for it. Have you ever wondered how people can do what they do and pillow their head at night and and get a night's sleep? Have you ever thought, well, if I would have done that, I would never be able to sleep. I'd never be able to look at myself in the mirror. I'd never be able... The reason is because you have a different standard, a different ethic than they do. They're able to justify what they do because it makes them happy. We live by a standard of what does God say? And that that curtails our activity. That's how we've gotten where we are. Pleasure has become our God. There are people that will do anything as long as there's a thrill to it, as long as there's something that they get out of it. And um, that's part of our problem. A third thing that I can identify as part of our problem, how we got where we are, is that we have defined down deviancy. What we sit, well, today in Bible class, somebody was saying, you know, we didn't even have a television set. I can remember going to my grandma and granddad's house, television set, and boy, I tell you, you didn't turn it on unless you had a reason to turn it on. We didn't pass the time of day when we were at grandma and granddad's by just watching television. If we turned it on, we had to go ask granddad, and he'd say, why do you want to turn it on? What do you want to watch? There had to be a reason. If you were just saying, oh, kill time, no, go outside and do something else. Uh, we didn't just kill time with television. If we put a television from today in my grandma's house, my granddad's house, I'm telling you, I, it'd be on the front porch waiting for somebody to take it away. Now, I'm not saying you have to get rid of your television, 
But I am saying that if you have one in your house, you better get control of it because it affects and desensitizes ourselves and our children to things that are abhorrent to God. I don't want to get comfortable, and that's what we're talking about on Sunday morning Bible class. I don't want to get comfortable with things that God hates. I don't want to get comfortable with things that will cost people their soul for doing. And so we need to be careful that we don't become desensitized to evil. I I may have told you this too, but I, I know a guy that has a TV in his corner of his house just like everybody else, but it's backwards. And whenever anybody goes in his house... They say, are you working on your set? And he says, no. And they finally say, well, why is it backwards? And he said, because if my kids behave that way, I'd make them stand in the corner and that things uh, behave in that way, so we'll stand it in the corner until it behaves. Well, that may be an extreme, but uh, there's a lesson in that. Don't let things enter the haven of your home that disrespect and violate the will of God. Our homes ought to at least be the one place where we can exist, where we're not threatened by those evil external forces. Um, But those are the three things that I want to identify as, how how do we get here? How is it that we see the things we see? Well, uh, it's because we don't like to talk about God. And therefore, we don't have standards. We have, we have mixed up, jumbled things. We can justify this, but we condemn this. And, and there's no consistency. Everything is subjective rather than objective. That's how we've gotten here. Pleasure has become our God. It consumes us. If it makes me happy, I can justify it. And then, um, you know, we have defined down what is sinful. We become desensitized to it. We, we use euphemisms to salve our consciences so that we don't call things by their biblical names. We have softer words for them that makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves when we do those things. So that's how we got where we are. Now, let me hurriedly give you three things as to what we can do about it. And I think this is really the crux of the point. We can embrace the Christian lifestyle. Um, In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Philippians 1 and verse 24, Colossians 1 and verse 10, all three of those passages speak of walking worthy of our Christian calling, walking worthy of the uh, the profession of our faith. There is a worthy walk in which we are to engage. And listen, we'll never change anything if we live, talk, act, and dress like the world. We have to be different. There has to be something about us that is a reflection of the light of God, the light of Jesus, so that people who are groping in darkness, trying to find salvation, can see, because of our lives, the Christ that they're searching for. When I live like the world, I deny Jesus the opportunity to reach people. We have to embrace... We have to... listen. I've got to, well, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can't be conformed to the world. I have to be different. I have to, you know, that may mean I don't go to the same movies everybody else does. 
It may mean I'm the only one in the youth group that won't go do this or that because everybody else is. And I'll tell you, usually when you make those stands and you stand up for something that's right, usually you'll embolden somebody else that really doesn't want to but doesn't have the strength to say no, and they'll be helped by you. We need people to dig their heels in and say, enough. We're not going there. We're not doing that. We're not talking that way. We're not behaving that way. It doesn't matter if everybody else is. It doesn't matter what they're doing at school. It doesn't matter what they're doing at work. We're not going to participate because it doesn't reflect Jesus or the will of Jesus. Until we embrace that Christian lifestyle, we're never going to change anything. We're not going to legislate change in our society. It has to be a fundamental change of the heart. People have to see Jesus and, and make that to, to uh, bring about the kind of change that we're talking about. And that'll never happen unless you lead the way. I can't expect the world to clean itself up. The world is always going to be the world. Always has been, always will be. I have to be someone who shows an example to the world of a better way to live. Can't depend on the world to clean up the mess. We have to lead in that. And so I have to embrace it. Secondly... I have to proclaim that lifestyle to others. Don't proclaim it and then embrace it. You embrace it first, you live it, and then you have the right to proclaim it. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter talks about how that we need to be a people. Well, we are a people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possession. Uh, we've been made all those things, and we know all about that, and we study that. And and we say, boy, isn't that nice? We're a royal priesthood, God's chosen people. And we can talk about that, but have you ever considered what else he says in the verse, the rest of the verse? That, in other words, God has done these things. He has elevated us, put us in this position of prominence and honor that we might proclaim the praises of him. I don't have any standing to say, point people to Jesus unless I myself am living and embracing what Jesus taught. I need to proclaim the lifestyle of Jesus to other people, but I can't do that unless I'm first living it. So here's what I need to resolve. If I'm going to make a change in our culture, if we're going to make a change in Carnes, we need to lead the way by embracing what Jesus says and then by proclaiming what he says. And then the third, and maybe this is the hardest, is to pray. You say, well, well, prayer's easy. How do you say that's the hardest? Well, it depends on what you're praying. How badly do you want change in our nation? How badly do you want people to turn around and come back to God? Is it worth economic disaster to you? Would you be willing to uh, uh, lose your retirement if it meant that we turned around and came to our senses morally? Would you be willing to give up that, your money, your hard-earned money, your savings, if it meant that this nation comes back to God and people get their feet on moral standing once again? Are you willing to pray those prayers? God's in control of the nations. Had Abraham found Ten righteous souls, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains would have been saved. 
if just a few people make intercession, God can save many. I say we need to be praying for the nation. I see a lot of people that are hard on our elected officials, and there are things I don't like. I certainly don't like a lot of what goes on in, in some of the politics that you see, but I don't want to be known for bashing politicians. I wonder sometimes if the people that are so vocal against our government are also as vocal before the throne of God in prayer for them. We need to pray. Uh, that I'm not defending anybody or anything. I'm just saying these people need to be prayed for and let God in his providence work. Do you have the courage to pray a prayer that goes something like this? God, do whatever it takes to turn us around. Do whatever it takes. Don't, don't tie God's hands. God, uh, let's keep us as strong financially and don't touch my retirement and don't do this and this and this and, and turn us around. What if you just let God have his way and pray to prayer and say, God, in your wisdom, do whatever it takes to turn us around. That's a scary prayer to pray. But I think it's the kind of prayer that we ought to be praying on behalf of our nation, making intercession for us. Listen, we, we come to a point in our lives, come to a point in history where we're at a crossroads. There are some things that I think, at least in my own judgment, that, you know, you cross some lines and you're going to bring the judgment of God on you. Uh, it, it's like in Romans chapter 1, you reach a point where God just gives you over. And let you experience the consequences of your own sinful lifestyle. I want—I don't want to be given over. I want God to work with us and through us as a nation that we might be able to reach out and benefit other people and kingdoms in the world. But if there's ever been a time when God needed a pure, holy, distinct, vocal church... It's now. Let's be that. Let's live holy lives before our neighbors, before our schoolmates, before our co-workers. Let's be holy. Show them the light of Christ. Proclaim to them a better way of living, a, a way that brings satisfaction and fulfillment and gives hope at the end of this life. And pray that God might use you and use our nation to be an instrument in his hands, a tool in, in his providence. I just want to challenge you tonight. I, I want to challenge you to be a part of the solution and make sure you're not a part of the problem. Uh, we of, often, every once in a while, we just need to be reminded of who we serve and what we're doing with our lives. It's not about getting the most, as we talked about this morning in Bible class. It's not who accumulates the most things. It's not who has the most fun. It's not who sees or does the latest thing that everybody's doing. The purpose of our life is to bring glory to God. Don't lose sight of that. And let's live in such a way that we can help others to find the same joy and peace in that lifestyle. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, I want to extend the invitation to you. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you need to do that, do that tonight. Stop being a part of the problem and, and get your life right with God and live for him.
and pray for others. If you're already a child of God but haven't been living right, maybe you've let a lot of things creep in and really deep down you know, I've kind of gone with the flow. I haven't been the Christian example I should be. I haven't withstood. I'm part of the problem. Then ask God for forgiveness. And if we can pray with you, um, we'd be happy to do that if you'll come as we stand together and sing.